Awesome. Thank you. You can grab a seat. Man, we are so excited to be here with you. Big shout out to everybody over in the uh, theater and everybody joining us uh, online today. Good to be with you. We are, as Randy said, Todd and Julie, and we uh, are the co-pastors of Christ Fellowship Church down in sunny, beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida. Think palm trees and sandy beaches. Somebody's got to minister to those people. I mean, somebody's got to go there. But, uh, and, and, and I know it's been said, but I want to say again, we love the ark. Uh, we're so thankful for the Hodges and the Surratts and for the Rizzos. And Eric could go on about just the, that you have helped the church. The body of Jesus Christ is stronger in America today because of you guys. And we just thank you so much. Yeah, I know we are much happier leaders. And our church is stronger because of the relationships that we have made through the ark. And, and we're just so honored to be here. You know, um, I wish the ark had been around back in the 80s when Christ Fellowship first started. Because we didn't have Chris Hodges around to tell us that three and a half hours services were not a very good idea. So No wonder we didn't yeah, grow. Yeah, we didn't know why we weren't growing. But a little bit about us. Um, Todd and I met in youth group in the seventh grade. We were seventh grade sweethearts. And we dated on and off all the way through high school and college. It was much more off than on. It depends on who you ask. I thought it was more on all along. But you were not as intuitive as you thought you were, right? You were not as intuitive as you thought you were. It was definitely... It was definitely more off than on, but, but you know, we, um, we dated all the way through high school, and then when it was time for us to go to college, I went off my freshman year, and I stayed faithful to Todd my entire freshman year, and then it was time for Todd to leave for college, and that was when we released each other to find God's will. So girls, just don't fall for that one, but, but we were in a very extended, we were in a very extended 18-month off season when Todd came home on a Christmas break from college and and he decided that um, he wanted to take me out to dinner and I thought you know that's great we'll go out to pizza like we always do but he surprised me and he took me to a really nice restaurant and so like the whole night he's kind of talking about our relationship and you know how you know I was just his his greatest friend in all the world and then he reaches out and takes my hand and I'm going okay this is you know this is kind of nice didn't know what was up but at the end of the night Todd surprised me And he got down on one knee with a ring in his hand and asked me to marry him. And we were not even dating. That's the way I roll, baby. You just got to go with it. You got to know what you know when you know it, right? Now, ladies, let me say this. When a guy gets enough courage up to actually go buy a ring, take you out to dinner, get down on a knee, and ask you the question, will you marry me? The first words that come out of your mouth, you need to be very selective on what you said the first words i heard back were no no way are you kidding me and i'm like is that a yes no way or a no no way i need to know which way this thing is going baby you got to tell me what's happening right but it now. went the right way it went the right way and so you know i should have known at that point that what i was signing up for that it was going to be a wild ride with lots of twists and turns, but, but we are 32 years into this, and we really feel like, we really feel like we're just getting started. Um, we have not arrived. We have so much more to learn, but, but we just wanted to just spend a little bit of time with you today and just share a few of the things that we've learned on this wild ride. You know, some of the lessons that we've learned on what it really takes to go the distance in marriage while you're leading together in ministry. And this is why this is so important, because your marriage is the greatest message 
that you will ever preach. Let me say that again. Your marriage is the greatest message that you will ever preach because three years from now, your team and your church will not remember the sermon that you preached last Sunday. As hard as you worked on it, they are not going to remember it. It's pitiful, but they're not. And, but they will remember the way that you loved and you honored each other and the way that healthy ministry flowed. It was an outflow of the, of the marriage that you, that you had together. So if you're going to go the distance in marriage and ministry, the first thing you have to do is you have to know where you're going. You got to get a vision for where you're going. You got to see a picture of what it's supposed to look like. You can never get from here to there if you don't know where there is. If you shoot at nothing, you'll, you're bound to get there. So you need, you need a vision. And here's what I know. We are going to be married to each other long after we are no longer the senior pastors of Christ Fellowship. And so if, if, if we don't work on this, when this is all done... There will be no this. These last couple of days, the Lord has been speaking to us about sowing and reaping. Many of the speakers have talked about the seed that you sow. And, and what I know is if I don't sow some seeds in this season, I won't reap anything in the, in the next to come. So if I'm not sowing, if I'm too busy building church or I'm too distracted with, with ministry or other things that I don't work my own field, there's not going to be a harvest here down the road. So I've got to... I've got to Work on this now. Yeah, and I've heard so many people say that, you know, ministry is so hard on marriage, and, and ministry can really tear a marriage apart. And, and if you look at the statistics about the divorce rates and, and people that are in ministry, it would be easy to believe that myth. But the truth is, is that there are unique challenges that come with being married and in ministry. But when you think about it, ministry in its purest form is really loving God and serving people. Yeah. And I've never met anybody whose marriage ended because one of them loved Jesus too much. Yeah. Or the other one, you know, decided that they were going to serve yeah. the other person completely right. and selflessly. Right. You know, this is the thing is that, is that a marriage isn't, marriage and ministry aren't two competing thoughts. Right. And it was both of them were God's idea. Yeah, and they both were uh, institutions created by God to be a reflection and expression of Jesus to the world. So in the purest form, it should make our marriage stronger. It should make our marriage healthier. Yeah, you know, the, the truth is, if you want to stay on course, I really believe that the first thing you need to do is you need to preach on marriage often. Because I love it when the marriage and relationship series is just around the corner because I've never had it so good. I mean, I, there are date nights. There are flowers. He is opening the car door for me. And it is... Amazing. So I think that's one of the keys. I am not a fool. She's going to have a mic in her hand. I got to give her some good material on how I've been taking care of my woman. You know what I'm saying? And then I, I've just, and the second thing is just do what you preach. I mean, there's, it's not a mysterious, like, unknown, how do we do that? Oh, man, just do what you tell everybody else to do. You know, prioritize this relationship. You've only got one marriage. Work that field. You know what I'm saying? Be in this thing. And then pray together. Man, we tell everybody else to pray together. When we pray together, man, there's a power and a strength that comes. And what God has called us to do, to lead together, what God's called you to do, to lead uh, in ministry together, man, that you need, you need a prayer covering around you while you're doing it. Yeah, and you know, don't forget to have fun with each other. I mean, we heard a lot about that last night, just having fun together. And, and you know, I've read a lot of marriage books and most of them have those lists. And we know that the second most important thing on our husband's list and the second greatest desire that they have and the second thing that they need the most 
is having a great time together and, and that sense of adventure. So it's really important that you're good. At the top two things. At the top two things, right? So that's all we're saying. So you've got to pray together. You've got to have fun together. I think it's important that you remember to serve each other. I think sometimes in church work that, that we are so consumed with serving humanity that we forget to serve the humans that are closest to us. You know, I think about this, Todd, that, that you have made it so easy for me to follow you. Because as great as Todd is on the platform, he is 10 times greater at home. And I really believe that, that the message of that our, our front stage life should really be an outflow of our backstage life is such a message. I could camp here all day. I could camp here all day, especially in the area of the ways that you have served our family. And I just really believe that one of the greatest ways that, that you've served me over the years is that, um, is that you have been my greatest encourager. And you know, that word encourage really means to give courage. And the way that, that you have championed the call of God on my life and championed the, the leadership potential that was in me. And, and you have, you've given me courage so many times because of your confidence in me and the way you've made room. You've given me courage to step out of my comfort zone, but you never forced me out of my strength zone. You never tried to force me into something that I wasn't. And I just really believe that, that you set a tone you know, for the rest of our team and, and, the, and the couples on our team to be able to flourish in whatever unique calling that God's placed on them as a couple. Thanks, babe. That's easy to do. <laughs> uh, I think uh, this isn't just something we want for us. We talk about uh, leading well in marriage and ministry together. It's not just about our marriage. It's about all the marriages on our team. And so we have a vision for what we want for our entire ministry to look like. And uh, we, want, uh, we want to release 100% of the power and the potential in the couples on our team and the couples in our church. We want everyone stepping into what God has called them to do and who God has called them to be, male and female. It says, you know, the, the verse in, uh, in Acts 2.17 that was quoted from the prophet Joel. In the last days, uh, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Prophesy just means boldly preach and declare the word of God and, and the truth of God. And so we wanted that for, for everybody. Yeah. yeah, and you know, when we, when we look back in the rearview mirror, our, our call together to lead together um, really started before we ever got yeah. married. Christ Fellowship uh, started in my parents' living room uh, back in the 80s and then quickly moved to a cafetorium in an elementary school, which I don't even think that's a real word, cafetorium. I think it's half auditorium, half spilt soured milk somewhere. I think that's what that means uh, in the Greek. And uh, we, we, after, after seven years in that cafetorium, we were all the way up to 70 people. I mean, that was counting everybody. That was counting, uh, you know, kids and we, pregnant people. We counted you twice. You know, if you look pregnant, we counted you twice. I mean, it was. <laughs> and I was a 19-year-old college student at the time, and we were in that extended off-season. And so actually, our church, I was the only single in the church. So I was actually the young adults ministry. It was me. And so I had, a, I had this sense that God had a call on my life, but I had no idea what that even looked like. I had never seen female pastors before, and I, I just didn't even know what that could look like. I, I, I didn't have a vision, but I, I knew that, that I was passionate about, about the next generation because God had saved me radically in student ministries, and I knew that I was passionate about kids, and I was passionate about worship. There was no shortage on passion, but I had an extreme shortage of wisdom, 
And I had an extreme shortage of vision. And so what I, I, I knew I needed to do was to plant myself next to leaders who had both. They had wisdom and they had vision. So I planted myself next to Pastor Tom and Donna Mullins that were Todd's parents who planted Christ Fellowship Church. And I just kept showing up. You know, I, I kept showing up. And what I found was that my opportunity came in proximity of great leaders. And that small step into a small church has marked every step of my journey. See, I, I just kept showing up, and every time there was a, a, a vacancy in a leadership role or, or maybe somebody left their post, if they turned around, I was there. So my father-in-law is a coach, so he threw me into the game. And, and I just think, you know, I don't know if they thought I was a servant or a stalker, but I just kept showing up. And I really believe that that, that step was the, was, was the beginning of every God story I get to tell today. And, you know, as a young leader, the greatest investment that I made into my calling was to plant myself next to leaders of vision and integrity. And not, you're not going to stay there. You know, not everybody's going to stay there for 32 years, stay planted in the same place. But I know for me that that small step was the beginning of every story I tell. So the small steps you take today are going to determine the big stories you tell tomorrow. That's good, babe. And that small step led to me. Hey, so I've been part of your big story. Um, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is, uh, Todd and Julie, have you always been leading together? And the short answer to that is, yes, we have. But that yes has looked different in every season that we've had to walk through on our journey. Yeah, I remember when we first got married, um, Todd, you were the um, student pastor and the worship pastor and the church secretary and the janitor all rolled into one. And I one. did security, Jimmy. I did security, too. And yeah, you did I wasn't security. As- you, were, you made about $100 a week, yep. um, and I was a school teacher because somebody needed to pay the bills, right? Yeah. So I like to call that my sugar mama season. So I was the sugar mama in the family. I was a kept man during <laughs> yeah. those days, kept man. A few years later, our son Jefferson uh, came along, and all of a sudden, we had a family yeah. in ministry. Yeah, and I call this like the, the season where we were just trying to manage the minivan. And, you know, so many of you are probably in that season right now where, where you're just trying to juggle, you know, what it means to, be, to manage the kids and to, and to, and to do ministry. And, and for me, this was a pretty challenging season because I was passionate about it all. I was passionate about ministry, and I was passionate about my kid, and I loved church, but I loved my family. And I had a hard time in that season because I wanted to do it all, but I couldn't do it all. And so I wish there was some kind of playbook written for this season, but it really, you know, it takes so much wisdom and prayer to know how to make the right decisions that are, that are right for your season and for your unique calling. But I know for me, you know, um, I remember somebody asking me, Julie, how do you juggle it all? And I remember a, a wise mentor told me once that, that when you're juggling a lot and you've got lots of balls in the air, you just have to realize which one of those balls are rubber and which one of those balls are crystal. And you got to make sure that, that you know which is which. Some of those balls are rubber, some are crystal, but you got to know which one is which. And I knew that Jefferson was a crystal ball. 
Our son Jefferson was one of those crystal balls that couldn't drop, and I knew that I wanted him to, to grow up loving God and loving the church and, and, and loving us, and so I wanted to make sure that I didn't drop that crystal ball so that, that there wasn't any you know, direct rules or guidelines, but that was just a guiding principle that helped me to know which decisions to make and, and which things to prioritize during that season. Which meant you had to step away from a lot of the day-to-day of ministry for a while, even though your heart was connected, which meant every day when I got home, she wanted to hear about <laughs> about everything that had just happened in ministry that day, and I had just gotten through with it, and I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Dear Jesus. But for the sake of this, and the sake of the calling that was on her life, and the passion to be a part of it, I had to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time working through some of the things, catching her up. And we decided actually around that time to start something that is really important for us still to this day. Um, is we have a weekly meeting on the, on the calendar where we get together and there's an agenda so that we can talk through all the things and be on the same page with team and ministry. Uh, it was really important then and it's really important now. In fact, it was uh, as important as a date night for us. That, that meeting was as important as a date night because without that meeting, we wouldn't have a date night. Or we'd be talking about church yeah. on our date night. So have that meeting. It'll set you free. Yeah. The other thing that I really learned during that season is that there is a difference between my calling and my assignment. Mm. See, in 32 years of ministry, my calling has stayed the same. I have been called to love Jesus, to love my family, and to build his church. That has never changed. But my assignment has changed in every single season. And, you know, I, I just want to encourage you, if you're in that season where, where you're managing the minivan and, and you're, or maybe you're in that sugar mama season, maybe you're in that season where you're investing, spending the majority of your time investing in your kids, that, that when it comes to being called together, you know, even though we may have different assignments, that they, our assignments have equal value right. when it comes to walking out the calling that God's placed on our lives. It's so good to remember. And what I've learned uh, for me, because this applies to everybody, not just a spouse that may be the sugar mama in the relationship, uh, is there are times when you're going to feel like your assignment and your calling aren't lining up, yeah. aren't matching up. And what I've learned in those times of my own life is when you're faithful in your assignment, God is preparing you for your calling. There's a preparation that comes in those hidden places that prepare you for the next thing. Um, we told you that we were, you know, seventh grade sweethearts. Uh, my dad was our pastor, which meant when we finally got engaged, my dad did our marriage counseling. Yeah. There's so many awkward things I could talk about right now in that whole setting. But one day he was talking to us about what to do when we fight and have an argument and we never had an argument or fought. But he said, listen, when, when it happens, you need to, you know, get in each other's arms and pray. And I remember sitting there when he was telling me this and I'm thinking, I'm never going to get upset with her. She's my pookie. I, so that was my pet name for her, pookie. I was like, I can't get mad at pookie. I love pookie. She's my pookie. There came a day when Pookie got on my last nerve, is all I'm saying. And I remember exactly what day that was. We were sitting in a parking garage in Charleston, South Carolina, where we went on our honeymoon. And we were sitting in a parking garage, and, and I was putting on my lipstick because I wanted to do what any new wife would want to do and be ready to be kissed at any moment. And so we're in the parking garage, and, and there's a line of cars lined up behind us honking. And all of a sudden, the seven words that changed everything. Will you help me find the ticket? These were the seven words that Todd spoke 
that sparked the very first argument of our marriage, the very first fight of our marriage. And they were spoken in a really guttural, harsh, I would even say a demon-like tone came out of him. And I had never heard this before. But of course, he remembers it a little bit differently. He said, hey, help me find the ticket, babe. He remembers it differently. But what we both remember is the hours of deafening silence that followed. Which is not good on your honeymoon, just saying. You don't want that to happen. But as a young bride, I just thought maybe if I just stay quiet long enough that we can keep the peace. See, when we first got married, I was so afraid of conflict. And I thought conflict was something to be avoided at all costs. And I thought that conflict between us was going to kill our relationship. And see, I, I believed in this myth that, that if you were with the right person at the right time, in the right place, doing all the right things, that somehow you could avoid tension and conflict in your relationship. And that myth is also uh, something we believe in the church. We believe that if we're with the right people... Hey, in the right place, doing the right thing, that we can avoid conflict. But you can't. Even if your ministry model is simple church, relationships are complicated. And this is all about relationships. And then when you put in leading together, you got a complicated order. That's all I'm saying right there. You can just bank on it. So in your marriage and in your ministry, uh, you, you have to watch out for road rage. You're not going to, you're not going to get where you're going if you don't watch out for the road rage because conflict happens in every relationship. And I would tell you this, there's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. A, A peacekeeper is passive. They just sit there and put on their lipstick. They're just hoping that silence is going to create peace. When all it did was create a bigger gap, right? I know I was the one with the guttural voice and all that, but, but peace, peace keepers hope that peace happens. Peacemakers make it happen. And, and Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the sons and daughters of, of God. And what that tells us is that because we're going to be called the children of God because children can't help but reflect and resemble their parents. And our heavenly father, our spiritual dad, is the ultimate peacemaker. He runs towards conflict. He runs towards brokenness to restore and make peace. He's always the one that makes the first move. And so as leaders, and in this relationship, you got to be the one that makes the first move. You know, a couple things that, that we've tried to do in our own relationship and, and in leading our team um, where things get complicated um, to help us all to avoid road rage. And a couple things that we've done is that um, we try to remind ourselves and our team of what I wish I w- could have told my 21-year-old self sitting in that car. Is that conflict won't kill your relationships, but unresolved conflict will unresolved conflict and tension, gone unchecked and unmanaged, it will kill your relationship. So, so we try to coach our team that, that conflict isn't something that we need to be afraid of. We try to, you know, to, to normalize conflict, that this is going to happen, and this isn't bad. You know, conflict isn't the absence of unity. Conflict is actually the opportunity for unity. It's the opportunity to allow God to invade that relationship and take it from where it is to where he wants it to go. And when you think about it, conflict is actually the opportunity to love someone completely, even when they are completely wrong. That is the opportunity that we have in conflict. 
But my biggest regret, you know, as, as, as leaders, we need to be peacemakers. We have to make the first move. And so this is what we coach our team on. We spend a lot of time helping them know how to navigate difficult conversations. We have to make the first move. And when I look back, my biggest regrets in ministry are not the times that, that I, I blew off steam. My biggest regrets in ministry and in our marriage are, are the conversations that I never had because I never allowed God to be able to grow those relationships and take them into, in, into the, complete, the completeness that he had for them. So good. Hey, last, if, um, if you're going to go the distance in your marriage, in your ministry, this last one's really important. You've got to learn how to navigate the detours. Sometimes your journey doesn't look the way you thought it would. In fact, many times you end up on a road and you're going, I didn't think I'd be here. How did I get here? And I don't know about you, but I hate detours. And there's a lot of them here in Birmingham is what I'm saying. <laughs> Everywhere I drive, there's a detour. Uh, I want to go there, but I can't go there because the road's blocked. So they're taking me here around here. But if I can stay on the detour, if I follow the signs on the detour, if I don't give up on the detour, I'm going to get to where I need to go. And in our journey together, we've had some detours. Yeah, we've had lots of detours in our ministry. But what I have found is when those detours hit closer to home, they're a lot more difficult to navigate and, and a lot harder to, to get back to get back to the main the main journey together. And and you know, I remember that um, when Jefferson, you know, I, I always wanted five kids, right? Um, I she thought loves I love basketball, so I thought that I was gonna have a basketball team. And early on in our marriage, um, we we went through an infertility struggle. And after seven years of, of an infertility battle and three miscarriages. God brought us our amazing miracle son, Jefferson. And it was amazing. And, and we thought that at that point that our family testimony was written. And God has used that leg of our journey to be able to pray for and believe for couples going through the same journey that we went through. And, and it was beautiful, but we had no idea what was waiting down the road for us. You know, when Jefferson was about three years old, we noticed that, that he, wasn't, um, he wasn't reaching the developmental milestones that, that he needed to. And so after many trips to the doctor and lots of specialists, we finally got the diagnosis that we dreaded the most. And even to this day, it is hard for me to, to, to even speak the label that was given to him by the doctors. And it wasn't because I'm, I was in denial. It's because this label didn't describe my beautiful miracle son, Jefferson. It didn't describe him, only God could do that. But it did prescribe a journey that we were gonna go on. A journey of hours and hours of therapy, a journey of a very specific prayer journey. We begin to, to pray like it was all up to God and we begin to work like it was all up to us. And you know, we really believe that God could do a miracle in a minute, and we prayed for that miracle. But how many of you know that sometimes God does a miracle in a minute, and then sometimes he takes you on a journey of miracles? And you just have to know which miracle plan you've signed up for, and we were signed up for the journey miracle plan. And so we began to pray, and we, we saw Jefferson you know, begin to, begin to just progress and, and move forward. We prayed for, for God to bring in the finances so that we could get the therapy that he needed. And, and literally, Todd was worshiping 
worshiping and someone came up and stuffed $100 bills in his pocket, the exact amount that we needed for the therapy for Jefferson. We prayed that when he was four years old and he didn't speak in, in sentences yet, we prayed that he would speak in a complete sentence. The next day, he put four words together. And the next week, we were at the mall and I brought Jefferson to the Disney store and he was standing at the window and he yelled, he said, Mom, look, it's Snow White and the Seven Whores. And I was like, eight words, eight words. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. And I claimed it as a miracle. And that's how our journey went. That's how our journey went year after year. We saw Jefferson just progress, miracle after miracle, until he turned 13 and everything stopped. And not only did he stop progressing, but he started to regress. And we were, we were devastated. Literally, the things that he used to be able to, he couldn't do anymore. And I had to literally walk him through brushing his teeth and, and taking a shower. He stopped talking in full sentences. And we did not know what we were going to do. We were broken. We thought, surely, God, you did not bring us this far to leave us here. And we began to pray, and, and, and our team began to pray. And, and I remember, you know, Jefferson, I couldn't even bring him to church. In about that six-week period, I couldn't even bring him to church because I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. And, and so one day we decided we needed a change of scenery, so we went to the beach, and we were walking along the beach with tears streaming down our face, just praying. And all of a sudden, there was a, a guy that was walking towards us, and, and I would never recommend that you get your theology from t-shirts on the beach in South Florida. It could be scary. But that day, God had a word for me. And the man that was walking towards us had a shirt on and it said, listen to what you know, not to what you fear. And something just rose up in my spirit. Listen to what you know, not to what you fear. See, I was listening. The voice of fear was so loud in my head that I could not hear the truth of what I already knew that God said about my son. I knew that God had a plan to prosper him and not to harm him. I knew that the same God that was faithful in the past was going to be waiting for him in his future. I knew that, that the God who began a good work in Jefferson was going to be faithful to complete it. And so we began, I mean, something rose up, and even though nothing changed in that moment, something shifted. Yeah. Something shifted, and we began to act, we began to declare God's word over Jefferson's life. And that day, I brought Jefferson back to church, and I brought him back to the middle school service, and we were sitting in the back, the two of us were sitting there, and I was like, God, thank you for this word that you have given Jefferson, but I need a word for me, because this was happening just as we were getting ready to step into senior leadership of the church. And I was just praying. I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to be the mom that Jefferson needs and the leader that, that you're calling, the leader, leader that you're calling us into in this season. And how am I going to be the wife that Todd needs? I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I need a word. And right then, three middle school boys came and grabbed Jefferson and they brought him down front into the, into the mosh pit where the, where the students worship. And they were all jumping around and said, Jefferson, you're coming with us. And right in that moment, God spoke to my heart. And he said, Julie, you don't have a mom life and a church life and a ministry life and a wife life. You have one life and you can trust me with it. And I want you to know that this whole spiritual home that you're building for everybody else, I, I have something in it for you too. And you know, I have to tell you that was like a revelation for me because 
Up to that point, I thought it was my job to build God's house and God's home for everybody else. And what God showed me was that, that the plan and the place that, that I was preparing for everybody else, it was the place that he had for us too. And that God was going to use his house and his people to pour into Jefferson things that he could not get from us. Yeah, and I wish we had the time to tell you um, how God did just that, how he used his, his family to make up what was missing in Jefferson and, and what he needed at that time that we couldn't even give him. And um, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I, we're happy to report, sometimes you tell the story and you forget to tell the rest of the story, <laughs> that now Jefferson is, is 23 years old. He is uh, a junior at Southeastern University. He's a worship leader. I think they got a picture of him leading worship. His uh, GPA is 3.95, which is like better than my GPA was. And he just got engaged last week. Uh, to a wonderful girl. Yeah. You can stand. Let's stand together. Sometimes I wonder if what we are believing for everyone else, we actually believe for ourselves. We preach to them that the best is yet to come, that nothing is impossible with God, that he's a God of breakthroughs, and we believe it. And we pray for people, and we build a house for everybody else. But I want to tell you, it's true for you. It's true for your family. It's true for your kids. It's true for what God wants to do in your life. And so I don't know what detour you might be on today. It might be something going on in your family, in your marriage. It could be in your ministry. It could be a team member that, that left you high and dry, and you're thinking, how am I going to get from here to there now? It could be a financial issue or physical issue, but I wanted to close by just praying for those of you that today you find yourself on a detour in your marriage or in your ministry, that God would show you and pour within your spirit a confidence that he's got you, he's going to get you from where you are, just like he's getting us from where we are to where we need to be. So would you bow your heads as we pray? And if you're here today and you would say, uh, Todd, in this last prayer, I want you to pray for me because right now I find myself on a detour. I find myself someplace I don't know how I'm going to get out of. I, it seems a little overwhelming, and I just need you to pray a specific uh, prayer of breakthrough and deliverance for me or our church. Would you just extend a hand up and say, this is for me? Lord Jesus, you see those of us with our hands up in the air raised towards you today. You are our source. You are our helper. You are the one that comes through every time. There's not one time you don't come through. And we believe it. And we believe it for ourselves. We believe it for our, our marriages. We believe it for our churches. We believe it for our families. We believe it for the needs that we're facing right now. And God, I pray that hope and faith would rise up in every heart here today. I pray that God, all the prayers that they've prayed through the years for other people, God would just be poured back out on their life and on their hearts and their minds and that today there would be a sense of confidence of knowing that you are with them and that you are for them and that you're going to bring them through and help them finish this journey well so today we stand in faith today we stand in hope it's in jesus name that we pray and everybody together said amen amen we love you guys thanks for letting us share